Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Aurora Carre, who is a fourth-year resident at St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. Aurora is originally from the Woodlands, Texas, completed college at the University of Notre Dame, and went to medical school at UT San Antonio. Her academic interests include microsurgery and craniofacial surgery. Aurora, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to get started by hearing a broad overview about your program. So SLU, St. Louis University, is a two-resident-a-year integrated plastic surgery program in St. Louis, Missouri. We have been an integrated program for a while now. We've already graduated our first integrated residence. It was initially an independent program, then combined. But now everyone that's in the program, we're a few years in with our integrated residence now. And can you walk me through how much plastic surgery experience you get across the first three years? I would definitely say our first three years are absolutely optimized. We do the bare minimum ACG and we required off-service rotations. So our first year we do six months on service on plastic surgery services and six months off. And those six months off are a few of general surgery and we do dermatology and anesthesiology as well. Then second year we do at least six months on service and then our off-service rotations are a little bit more applicable. So that's when we uh, do two months of burn um, and then vascular surgery and some SICU nights. And then third year, we have three off-service rotations. So most of our time, even as junior residents, years one through three are spent on plastic surgery services. So it's very nice. And what are some of the different sites that you rotate through? We rotate through a number of sites. So we have our main hospital, SLU Hospital, which is a level one trauma center, and then a freestanding pediatric hospital, Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. And then we rotate at the John Cochran VA. We rotate at St. Mary's Hospital, which is a affiliated academic hospital, but that's definitely smaller where we do more of our bread and butter cases. Then we rotate at Mercy Hospital, which is a level one trauma center that's private-demic out in the west part of the city. That's where we do our burn at, a, at the only accredited burn center in St. Louis out there. And then we do our fifth and sixth year cosmetic rotations at STL Cosmetics, which is a private practice with four attendings. Are you at one site for a month or sometimes within a month will you go to multiple sites? When you're a junior resident, you're at a site for at least a month. And we always try, no matter what year you're in, to make these blocks. And so you're not just on for a random sporadic month. Sometimes it happens that way for whatever reason. But we try to do blocks. And then when you're on the St. Mary's rotation, you might get floated elsewhere, just depending on what's going on. Because if there's not something happening every single day, you might have to help over at SLU because SLU can be very, very busy given it's our main level one trauma center. So it just depends. But we try to respect boundaries and keep everyone where they're assigned. And so you mentioned there are no independent residents. Um, how about any fellows? We have no fellows, which is definitely a plus in terms of our operative experience. And what are the research expectations like? We don't have any concrete research expectations, but we do meet at least once a month to discuss our research projects and our QI projects. 
we're very much about research being a team sport. And so every project that I'm in right now, I'm involved in, whether it's my project that I thought of or a project that I hopped in on or whatever, we're all very collaborative and I'm on my projects with multiple other residents. So it's definitely helpful to have your other co-residents helping you. And then you definitely have to have some sort of research going on and the attendings are heavily involved as well. So when you say you have that meeting once a month, is that with all residents and a number of the faculty or are they kind of broken down into smaller groups of residents and faculty? How does that work? It's just a brief check-in with all of the attendings and all of the residents as to what projects are going on and kind of what's developed, what needs to be done. Just a quick summary, just to keep everyone sharp. It's about accountability. It's about making sure that your projects don't just get left behind. It's about not competition, but just making sure that everyone's still involved. It's just very, very helpful to make sure if something needs funding, we can get our chairman to work on the on funding. Or if you need to work on getting a statistician, these are the resources and these are the people we usually turn to. Or for the younger ones, I've never done an IRB. How do I do that? A senior can help. Things like that. Just to make sure that everyone has their their ducks in a row as they're trying to tackle this on the side. What kind of support is there as you're going along in your projects? We don't have a research fellow or a lab. Most of our research is clinical research, but I've found that there's money tucked away somewhere for whatever you want to do. So now with COVID, obviously things are a little bit different. Prior to COVID, every resident had a $1,500 a year stipend, which is in quotes. Um, If you're a resident that's presenting at multiple meetings, you can make a pitch for yourself and get those meet multiple meetings covered if it goes beyond $1,500 to be able to present wherever. And I've needed money for a variety of things related to my research. And it's always appeared from either our slush fund or the attendings that have research funds that they can dip into. So monetarily, the support is there. It's just more of a clinical research sort of place. Are there opportunities for electives at any point during the training? Yes. Our sixth year, we have two elective blocks as it stands right now. And there's an option to work in an elective your fifth year if you get creative. And that elective, it's a lot of the time used if people are going to craniofacial, they'll do another few months at the Children's Hospital where we get our main craniofacial, pediatric craniofacial experience. Those that have gone into aesthetics do another month of aesthetics or they'll do another month of oculoplastics, things like that. And are there any opportunities for global surgery experience, whether that's through a short-term mission trip, something like going away for a month, or any research? In the past, residents that have done a week away have done it either on their, mostly on their vacation. There's no official time set apart for a global service trip in our residency. And Dr. Lin, our pediatric craniofacial surgeon and The chair of our pediatric department takes a trip every year in February to Peru to do full-blown craniofacial surgery out there. So he, every few years, will take a resident out there, too, depending on what residents are interested and the availability to have a resident out there. So that's our main option. So you mentioned there are some dedicated cosmetic blocks in the fifth and sixth years. Can you talk about those a little bit more? Yes. So I'm a fourth year, so I haven't officially done them, but I have heard. Um, We work with four attendings out at the STL, St. Louis Cosmetic Center. 
The first is Herlof Lund, who is actually pretty well known in the aesthetic world. He's currently president of the Aesthetic Society. He has is just a great guy and always very helpful. And then we have three other attendings, one of which is a recent SLU grad, Denise Sarhadi, who we're very excited to have back. So it's becoming an even more awesome experience because we have our own people in the game out there now doing great things. They have a full cosmetic practice with the spa. We get almost all of our cosmetic numbers out there with them, with the exception of a few cases from the VA every, every now and again. So it's a pretty robust experience, I would say. Do you know how long you spend there? I think we spend a month our fifth year and two months our sixth year out there. And is there like a senior cosmetic clinic where chief residents book their own cases? We're currently working on that, having insurance coverage for that and pricing is still something that we're working on. We do have filler and Botox clinic four times a year, and that is resident run from the time you're an intern, you get your own patients and your own product. And so we do the injectables, non-surgical aesthetic stuff we get very good independent experience with. Is there exposure to gender affirmation surgery? Not a lot, to be honest. We do, I've done some top surgery at the VA, but other than that, there's not a whole lot. I think it's due to insurance coverages mainly here in, in Missouri that are kind of a roadblock for that to happen. And is moonlighting possible? We do not moonlight in our residency. I honestly don't know how I would have the time or want to, if I'm being honest, but no, we don't, we don't have the option to moonlight. What area of plastic surgery would you say that residents come out with the strongest experience in? I think now that we're fully integrated, have no more fellows or no more independent residents, everyone, almost everyone comes out and does a fellowship, even if it's not something that they're doing as part of their practice. I think we're very strong in trauma, both hand and face trauma. We're very strong in craniofacial surgery, breast reconstruction, bread and butter plastic surgery we have covered. I think the things that we do fellowships in are things that you need fellowships for. So you need to do hand, you need to do pediatric craniofacial. Nowadays, you need to do aesthetic surgery. I would say we're pretty strong in, in all aspects that you'd expect out of residency. And how would you improve your program? I'm a sucker for the operating room, so I always want there to be a plethora of cases and more and more and more options to be doing things in the operating room. So for me, I would always love the addition of more attendings, and we're actually actively hiring a hand, another hand microsurgeon, and we're also hiring a new chairman, and both of those positions are actively being recruited and interviewed for, so my wish may soon be a reality, actually. <laughs> And are there any other fun perks about your program you'd like to share? Things like loops, courses, food, trips together? We, I don't think we ever need to plan resident trips because we just make it happen automatically, especially with COVID. All of that is kind of out the window anyway. We do get well-fed. At most hospitals, we have either a resident stipend or access to the doctor's lounge, and so I don't feel like I'd go hungry anywhere, that's for sure. Hopefully when COVID restrictions kind of become a little bit more lax and, and national meetings start happening again, which I think is a while off, we'll have 
the perk of being able to travel to present our research again, because that was always very fun. So I'd like to transition a bit to talk more about the people now. So starting with your program director, and it sounds like either your interim chair or what's happening in the search for a new chair. So we currently have a permanent program director. Our chair recently retired, chair and program director retired, Dr. Bruce Kramer. He's out loving his life in Florida. So our new program director is Dr. Mike Bernstein, who's been in the program for a long while now, was previously assistant program director, knows us all very well, and we're all very excited, even in these few short months that he's been PD. He's been really working hard for us and really listening to us, and it's been great to have this change. I think every all 12 of us have been very happy about it. He's also our interim chairman, but we're actively interviewing for a new spot right now. So that should be filled. We've been told by the end of the year, we'll have a a chairman, our chairman spot permanently filled. And can you tell me about a time when an issue was brought up to Dr. Bernstein or other members of the program leadership and how they responded? Absolutely. So I feel like Dr. Bernstein can be approached no matter what, and is usually our advocate. Most recently, there was, for me personally, there was a moment in the emergency department where there was a misunderstanding about a patient and there was an incident that occurred and my name got tagged as possible. Aurora was involved in this patient's care. Presumably she was the one that played this part in leading to this incident to happen. And Dr. Bernstein called me in the middle of the day and was like, listen, I got this incident report on my desk. I just need to happen. He need to hear your story. Tell me what happened. And we talked about it and it was nothing that, It was a misunderstanding from the emergency department standpoint, and he his response was, "Okay, I got your story. Sounds like you know what happened. Sounds like they don't, and that's it, and we're done." And so he's definitely an advocate for us. There have been things, obviously, with COVID, a lot of stuff has changed with our recruitment, with our interviews, with the way we have to conduct ourselves with our prospective medical students, and he's definitely open to all the ideas that we have, whatever, you know, anytime I called him recently to talk about something and he's like, you know what, after conference, let's just meet on Tuesday, come into my office. We'll talk about it. We'll sit down. He's definitely very approachable and willing to listen and willing to work with us. So like I said, we're very happy to have him. And now a bit about more like relationships amongst the residents. So how would you describe those? Our residency is definitely a family vibe. We are a smaller program, two per year. And so we like to joke that intern year, one of our current chiefs always likes to say, this is your sibling and you have to get along and that's it. And it's kind of been like that, you know, that word kind of goes on set in our program. Since we're so heavily involved on service from the very start, you start building the relationships with your co-residents really off the bat. You're not a stranger by any means to the attendings or to the other residents. And we're actively involved as residents in our medical student interviewing process. And so I think having the attendings listen to our opinions when we're discussing our applicants and our future residents really contributes to us being a cohesive group. I know that we have lives too, and we occasionally want to take a weekend off, go out of town, or we need a call switched because of whatever reason. And anytime I've needed anything, I've never had an issue finding someone that's just willing to cover and be fine with it. And likewise, 
I've covered plenty of times for my co-residents when they need something. So it's definitely, we're, it's not a cutthroat place where everyone's just trying to get ahead. It's it's definitely a family. With COVID right now, it can be hard, but do you guys get the opportunity to spend time together outside of work? Yes, we definitely do. We do have quote unquote planned like resident hangouts once a month. We do find time to get together. Back when taking trips was a thing, I there were I've taken a trip with one of the current third years, Amanda, to New York, had a great weekend together. Some of the senior residents, well, two of them live together. So if that tells you anything, they spend a lot of time together. And so we definitely find each other outside the hospital more often than not. And now a bit about how residents kind of choose to live in St. Louis. So do most own or rent? I would say it's pretty 50-50. It's super affordable to live in St. Louis. If you want to buy a house, plenty of residents live in houses that they own, live there all six years. Some of them have bought property in the middle of residency, and it's even reasonable enough to do that. A number of us rent as well. You can live a lot of different places and still be close to everything. I did mention that we go to a lot of sites, but those sites and most things in St. Louis, to be honest, are a nice 10 to 15 minutes away. So when the furthest hospital for me is Mercy and in the mornings for me, it's a 15 minute drive. SLU is a 12 minute drive. Cardinal Glennon's a 12 minute drive. The VA is a 10 minute drive. St. Mary's is less than 10 minutes. So everything is, and I live in a very affordable area. So everything is pretty close by and it's very nice. And are most residents married with kids or single or what's kind of the breakdown there? So we have a few married residents. Currently, we have one baby in the residency. Last year, our one of our chief residents also had a baby. We have kind of a good mix of single, dating, married, and with kids. And is it necessary to have a car? In St. Louis, it's definitely necessary to have a car, I would say. The commuting here, there's just no good public transportation system here. I think definitely having a car is necessary, primarily because of call. We do We take home call. We're not in-house, we don't have a night float system. So you might be asleep and have to go in in the middle of the night for whatever reason. And so commuting has to be done by car. So what do you like about St. Louis? St. Louis is so easy to live in. My family lives just outside Houston. And so I, the suburbs I have down, the big, big cities I've never lived in personally. And I think having so many changes from med school to residency was enough for me. And so I was very welcome to have a a city that's just easy to live in. There's there's a lot of restaurants on my list that I still haven't tried, even though I've lived here for three plus years. So there's no shortage of delicious food here. There's no traffic to deal with, honestly. It's nice. And we do get seasons. We get a very nice fall. So (laughs) no complaints about the weather. Coming from Texas, the winters aren't too rough on you? The winters aren't too bad. I'm a, I am ai complain about everything being too cold, but truly after living in, in Notre Dame for college, nothing will be too cold anymore. So <laughs> we have some years where it gets a little bit snowy and some years where it doesn't get quite as snowy. So it's a little bit variable. You definitely won't get mountains on, of snow here in St. Louis, but the winter is temperate. I shouldn't complain. So I think those are most of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, Any final thoughts either on your program or on the process of choosing a residency program? So I think residency, the application process, the interview process, the match is all about really listening to yourself and being yourself. There are plenty of times throughout the process where I tried to justify, you know, like, 
there's something definitely that's not clicking about this place, but not about Slope, about other places, but something that's definitely not clicking and I can kind of justify it because it's in this city or it's these people have graduated from it and look what they've done. And I think, honestly, you spend so much time at work and with your co-residents that if you don't feel the vibe and if you're not getting along with the people and if they're just not your people, you're going to be miserable. And six years is a long time to be sad. So go spend time, especially now that we're doing Zoom interviews or virtual interviews. I would definitely advise our applicants to really make an attempt to get to know the people that they're going to be marrying for six years. As far as our program goes, I'm happy here. We get great operative experience. We get a ton of autonomy since we don't have fellows. And since we have a busy, busy trauma practice, there's a lot of stuff that you you just get to fly. Recently, we had a trauma case over at the pediatric hospital. And my junior resident, Laura Reuter, who's amazing that month, and I were under the scope fixing digital nerves. And our attending was, I don't know, writing a note somewhere. And so we get a ton of autonomy. And it's really, really great. Lots of residents teaching residents. and it's truly a program where you have the ability to speak up, be heard, and enact change. It's not a program where you kind of just like get in the car and they take you on a ride for six years and then they take you to your destination and you're done. You're navigating, you're driving, you're doing a lot of decision making about the program and about your experiences. That's why our schedule is so optimized. That's why we get a lot of the nice rotations that we get. There's small things about our program that are really amazing. Like we do ENT our third year so that we get an operative experience and we're not just running the ENT floor head and neck patient numbers. Or we do vascular our second year so that you have a real operative experience on that rotation. It's little things that have taken a resident speaking up and saying, hey, this is not the best. How can I improve it? It's been really nice to see hard work pay off and see the fruits of my ideas early on kind of blossom as time has gone on. So if you're looking for a place where you can really take charge, I guess, of your training, this is definitely one of them. And then finally, I would say that our relationship with our attendings is really, really great. I mentioned with Dr. Bernstein how easily accessible he was. All the attendings have my number or have had my number since intern year. I have all of theirs. There's never a time where I've felt like too scared or uncomfortable about reaching out if there's a problem, reaching out if I have a question. It's a professional environment, definitely, but it's not one where there's any sort of fear. They're all so approachable. They're all really marvelous people. So it goes hand in hand with that family vibe that we have with the residents. The attendings are definitely approachable as well and definitely a part of the family. If any applicants would like to find out more, how should they best go about doing that? So they can follow us on Instagram. SLU Plastic Surgery is our Instagram handle. We have just day-to-day resident life displayed there. And if you want, we tag all the residents. And so if you want to find one of us specifically, you can go through there and DM us. We're always happy to help, happy to answer questions. You can email me personally at aurora.caray at health.slu.edu. You can email me if you're interested in talking to someone else. You can reach out to me and I can give you any of our emails. Um, You can email our program coordinator, Jenny George, or Dr. Bernstein. He's always happy to have medical students email him as well. Don't be shy. Reach out if you have any questions. Always happy to help. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Absolutely. It's been great. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.